Uh, you can go ahead and turn to D Daniel chapter 5 if you want to. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5. But as you're turning there, I've learned to, uh, when God kind of quickens something to me, not to ignore it. And uh, for the past two or three days, I've had a couple of scriptures that have really just kind of come alive to me. And when that happens, I, I generally think it's because somebody here has prayed and uh, they need a word from God. And maybe you've prayed, you've come to church today and you've asked God to, uh, to answer your prayers. And, and I want to, this, this may be for somebody, it may just be for me. But uh, you don't have to turn there. But Romans, you might just want to jot it down if somebody in here is needing a word from the Lord today. Maybe you're going through a difficult time and you're wondering, uh, does God know where I'm at? Is there any purpose in my suffering? Uh, these things have happened unto me. Is, where is God in all of it? And I wanted to read to you Romans 8, 28, which you probably know by heart. But it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who were the called according to his purpose. This is the believer. The other scripture is Romans 11, verse 36. Romans eleven thirty six, and it simply says this, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So God in his providence in eternity past, he knew everything that, ever, that would ever happen to you. And in the present, he's doing all things through you. Even in all things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we know that the ones that he uh, that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, those he also called, that's where that calling comes in. This is for believers. And the ones that he called, he also justified. And the scripture says the one that he justified, them he also glorified. So I don't know who that was for, but uh, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Daniel chapter 5. We've got a depiction here. By the way, this is Rembrandt's depiction of this scene in the Bible. Uh, and it doesn't come across real well uh, with the lighting and everything in here, but maybe in your own free time you want to take a look at that painting. This particular uh, chapter, Daniel chapter 5, has given way to uh, several, of, several of our common uh, expressions, uh, like the writing on the wall. That particular cliche comes from Daniel chapter 5. And what does it mean? Well, it normally means that it has some kind of a negative connotation, right? There's some kind of an ominous uh, warning Maybe on your job, you, your boss man is kind of treating you differently than he used to treat you. And, and we, you might say to yourself, well, the writing is on the wall. I better brush up my resume and, and make sure that my references still like me uh, when I give my, my future employer their phone number. But the writing on the wall, uh, weighed, and, uh, weighed and found wanting, that's another expression there. Uh, your days are numbered. Uh, God has numbered your days. Your days are numbered. But there, there's common expressions that we would find in Daniel chapter 5. <clears throat> so we're just going to begin with prayer and dive right in. How about that? Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the privilege to preach the word of God. I ask that you would open up our understanding, our hearts, and our minds to be attentive to your word, to be not only hearers but doers of the word. And we will be careful to praise you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to the next slide here. It's important, before we get started, to give you some context to this particular story. Now, here's, here's a, just a, a brief review. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, 
verse 2, the Bible says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand and the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, is who it's implied here. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, probably thought he was doing all of this by human effort. You know, he's a great conqueror, he's a great leader, and he was brilliant. He was a brilliant uh, builder and conqueror and military general. But the Bible says that God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Also with part of the vessels of the house of God. This is going to play into our story today. The treasuries from the house of God have now been placed into the house of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's God, Bel or Marduk. Probably kept in a museum across uh, the street from the royal palace, as it were. Okay? Now we know Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel chapter 2. He had this dream of this monstrous image. And there was a uh, head of gold and then the, the arms and chest of silver and, and then the, uh, the brass and then the iron and, and the clay and iron mixed together and the toes uh, and the feet. But the key thing in the interpretation of the dream, Daniel interprets the dream in verse 39 of chapter 2. And he says, and after you. In other words, your kingdom has an ending point. It had a starting point. And, and how did it start? It started with God. God did this for him. But he said, your kingdom will also have an ending point. And can I say this about every country, every nation, every world power? They have a life cycle. The, the empires don't last forever. They come and they go. And we, have, we would do well to take heed uh, in the United States of America to keep this fact in the back of our minds or the forefront of our minds. So the interpretation was made. There's going to be another kingdom. And notice what happened when Nebuchadnezzar heard the interpretation. Notice how Daniel was promoted in, in chapter 2, verse 48. Notice how Daniel was made what? He's a great man, gave him many great gifts, and, and how was he appointed? What does it say? He was ruler over what? Daniel was the prime minister of Babylon. You got it? It's going to be important as we go forward in the story. Daniel is the man in Babylon, okay? And he's given Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation. Now, last week, we came to Daniel chapter 4, and this is how Nebuchadnezzar's story ends. Nebuchadnezzar does not have a tragic ending, praise God. Now, his grandson, Belshazzar, is going to have a tragic ending. We'll see that today. Nebuchadnezzar, the last chapter of Nebuchadnezzar is good. It ends with doxology. It ends with praise. Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose words are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. That's, that's like something you would expect King David to say or one of the apostles. Wonderful praise on the lips of this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, who had been humbled. And the way Nebuchadnezzar's story ends is this. God is able to humble the proud and exalt the humble. That's how Nebuchadnezzar's story ends, as far as we're concerned. And because of that, it would not surprise me. I'm not the judge. It would not surprise me if we see King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Now, he might be surprised to see us, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him. All right, let's go to the next slide. And I want to give... Uh, credit to the late Dr. Chuck Missler he did this chart because I could not have drawn anything so neat and, and tidy here uh, history secular history is not kind to Daniel uh, there's been many assaults on the book of Daniel 
And what they really need uh, is to discredit the book of Daniel, and they always try to argue for a late, uh, a late writing of Daniel. And the reason being is because Daniel predicts all of the world empires. He predicts uh, the Medes and the Persians. He predicted Babylon. He predicted the Medes and the Persians. He predicted Alexander the Great. We'll get to that in Daniel chapter 8. He predicted the Roman Empire. That was the legs, excuse me, the brass, excuse me, the iron, getting all my metals mixed up here. Now, in your history books, most of them will, will give credence to the fact that Cyrus, king of Persia, that he defeated the Babylonians. But most of your history books will teach you that the emperor of Babylon at the time was Nabonidus. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar was Nebuchadnezzar's father. Okay, that's the first part of the chart here. Nebuchadnezzar had uh, four kids. He had two sons and two daughters. He had Evil Merodach. What a cool name if you're going to be a despot. Evil Merodach. But anyway, uh, Evil Merodach, he reigned for a little while. Uh, he had a daughter. I don't know much about her. Nerglasser, he ruled for a while. There was a lot of envy, uh, intrigue, political intrigue. And these guys were killed. Even some of the family members killed each other. That was very common. And, and sometimes we want to do that too, even though we're not kings and evil despots. But... Uh, this guy, Labashi Marduk, he only reigned for two months. Man, talk about a tough, tough assignment. Um, then the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar marries this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, most of your history books will show that Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor, uh, or the ruler, when the fall of Babylon took place. And that is true. But Belshazzar was his son. Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? So here's what's going on here. This will become abundantly clear to you shortly. Uh, even though Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor, he was the main guy, history tells us he had very little interest in governing. Uh, his, interests, his interests were in Arabia. And so his grandson, uh, Belshazzar, was appointed co-regent. And so Belshazzar was kind of dealing with the day-to-day -day operations of, of you know, being king. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was not interested in that at all. And so the two of them were ruling. And so that makes Belshazzar, uh, even though he's referred to as the king in Daniel 5, he's vice-regent. Okay, we still together on this? All right, good. Next slide, please. Okay, well, let's get into verse 1 of Daniel 5. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which were at Jerusalem. And we have a repetition here. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, wood, and stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And I'll stop there for now. But let's just uh, set the scene here. Now, this is very, first of all, this is very unbecoming for a king. Uh, Proverbs uh, 31 here, verse 4. It's not for kings, old Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine 
nor princes to drink strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment uh, of, the, of, the, uh, of the law. So the, ver the very fact that Belshazzar here is, I mean, he's just having a public drunken escapade here, speaks volumes about his character. This, this was something that's way beneath a, a world ruler. You know, it'd be like Joe Biden getting up to the podium at a press conference, sloppy drunk. You know, it would just, it would not be appropriate, would it? It would be very unfitting and very unseemly. And that's the same thing here with, uh, with, with Belshazzar. By the way, whenever you see people getting drunk in the Bible, usually bad things <laughs> happen shortly thereafter. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, they go hand in hand. You start with Noah and then Lot and, you know, I could list uh, on and on. But this is not just a, uh, a party, though. Sometimes we, we read these things and we think, well, that's, he's throwing a big party and things just kind of got out of hand and, and God's just kind of disciplining them because they were, had a little bit too much to drink. It's far worse than that. Let, let me put this in perspective. Let me kind of give you the flavor of this, if I can. David Jeremiah said, said it well. He said, this is about close akin to this. It would be like us having the Lord's Supper on a Sunday morning and someone coming in, pouring out the juice, filling it with a shot of Jack Daniels, and making a toast to the devil. Now, does that shock you and, and is that outrageous to you? That's about the flavor of this thing. That's about the flavor of this. But, and that's a real outrageous example. But, but I want to say this to you. Have we prepared ourselves to come to the house of God? I mean, when we come here, are we focused in? Do we have a, an appreciation? Sometimes we sing that song that we're standing here on holy ground. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Wherever God is, it's holy ground. And, uh, and we need to think about that. And God quickened me about this. You know, sometimes we're in here for an hour or whatever, 90 minutes. But have we prepared our hearts? Have we thought about the awesome God that we serve? Have we, are we thinking about the holy God that we serve? 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, don't turn there. But they deal with chaos and confusion in the worship service. They deal with uh, disorderly conduct. Uh, charisma had given way to charismania. Everybody was speaking in tongues and there was no interpreter. And, and uh, it had given way to chaos. Uh, people were talking out of turn. That's why Paul says if there's any questions, let them ask at home. Uh, we don't need everybody just yakking at the same time. And, and the Lord's Supper had become a place of irreverence. And Paul said because people were treating this holy time in an unholy manner, it was adversely affecting their health. He said some of them were weak, some of them were sickly, and some of them had suffered an untimely death. Uh, sometimes people say, well, I wish we could get back to the way things were in the book of Acts, the power of God. Yeah, well, there's a two-sided coin to that too. Because Ananias and Sapphira, they dropped dead during the offering time. Uh, do we really want the book of Acts to come back? It's a two-sided coin. If we want the power of God, we also have to acknowledge and reverence the holiness of God. We are here. And not just when we're in church. Beloved, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What we, uh, what we partake of, what we see, what we view, the places we go, the associations that we keep. But this was a thumb 
as it were, in the face of God. Because Belshazzar, he remembered his grandfather's dream. This thing was widely published. And Daniel is the prime minister of Babylon. Or at least he was. When we, in our story today, uh, just a little biographical note, Daniel is about 80 years old at this point. Okay, Just to give you some perspective. Daniel's about 80 years old. He's not a spring chicken anymore. Uh, we're not told why he was not invited to the party, but looking at how the party was going, it's pretty obvious why he would not be there. Uh, Belshazzar probably said, we don't need this old coot here. Uh, he's just going to be a, a buzzkill. Uh, Daniel, just, you know, we're not going to invite him. He's not there. But this is not just a drunken orgy. This is an affront to God. This is Belshazzar saying, I don't accept the dream. There's not going to be another empire. This is my kingdom. This is the great Babylon. And he probably took pride. And those, those walls of Babylon were so high that they were able to have chariot. And they were so wide that they had chariot races on top of the walls. And the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And they had the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River ran underneath the kingdom, the palace. And it served not only as a source of water, but also as a natural barricade from the invaders. Uh, it, it, there was a moat, and it served as a natural barricade. And what I'm told, and history will, will bear this out, is that uh, Belshazzar and the, emperor, the, the lords of Babylon, they had enough food to survive for 20 years within the walls of this, you know, this gated empire and Belshazzar now meanwhile I'll go ahead and get ahead of myself <laughs> meanwhile while they're having a feast and a party and they're living it up and they're saying yeah God take this I'm in charge not you meanwhile Cyrus has got the Medes and the Persians they have conquered many of the outlying areas they are right at the doors of the palace and Cyrus and his uh, his leaders his military generals they have been damming up the Euphrates River so that they had diverted the streams of water so that the water level was going to, to diminish to a point that his army would be able to march right in the walls of Babylon. Belshazzar, he thinks that Babylon is impregnable, much like the Titanic you know, thought it was the ship that couldn't sink. And history proved otherwise for the Titanic and also for Belshazzar. Now, for commentary on the finger of God, I'll give you the references. Exodus 8, 19. This was when the magicians were resisting uh, Moses, the, the, the plagues, and, and the magicians were able to counterfeit some things. The frogs uh, the, came in abundance. The magicians were also able to produce frogs. But then it came to lice, and there was a plague of lice. And the magicians could not imitate that. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Then you have uh, Exodus uh, 31, 18 and Deuteronomy 9, 10. And they make reference to the fact that the tablets of testimony, those ten commandments written on stone, were not just written with human hands, but they were written with the finger of God. And then we get here to, uh, to Luke 11 and 20. And Jesus said that he is casting out demonic spirits by the finger of God. So this is a popular expression in Scripture. But the Bible says that in the same hour came forth the fingers of the man's hand. You know, at the very moment 
They are at the epitome of their pride and exalted uh, vaunting up of themselves. At that very hour, then comes the finger of God. Let's go to the next slide. And everything is about to shift. The party's over. The banquet will now become a courtroom. And for those of you that like alliteration, I gave you some C words just to help you remember, but, you know, it's not germane. First thing we see is the king's countenance has changed. You know, he's, he's been pouring the wine. He's got wine dripping down his chin. Probably he's just a spoiled brat sitting on his royal throne, and he thinks he's in control. But in verse 6, it says the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him. <laughs> now look at the end of verse 6. So that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. That's how I feel when I get up to preach sometimes. <laughs> My God, you're going to have to help me. How can I stand up here? Now, I'll let you paint your own word pictures here about what's happening. But needless to say, whatever that entails, he's gone from a place of exaltation to a place of humility real quick. His knees are knocking. Verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof, three things, he shall be clothed with scarlet, he shall have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be what? Third ruler in the kingdom. Why is he the third ruler in the kingdom? Because Belshazzar's number two. Okay? That's why I wanted to give you that historical background. Because history will say that Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor, and that's true. But Belshazzar was in charge of the day-to-day -day affairs. He was the second ruler. And so what he's offering Daniel is to be next to him. Uh, the speaker of the house, or whatever, you know. <clears throat> but he makes the offer to the, to the soothsayers. Isn't it amazing that time and time again... The magicians, the sorcerers, the, you know, the soothsayers, they can't do anything. They can't get it right to save their life. And yet these people still keep going to them for advice. Have you noticed the theme? Have you noticed that theme throughout the scripture? Nebuchadnezzar kept inquiring of these guys. They couldn't help him. Now Belshazzar's inherited the same group of, uh, of, uh, of people, and they're not able to help him either. When are we going to learn that the world doesn't have the answers to life's problems? God does. The Word of God has the answer. You know, everybody says, well, I don't know what's going on. You know, how can we explain what the phenomenon that's happening in society? Read the Bible. The Bible says that in the last days, perilous times will come. That men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Wake up! The trouble in the Middle East. I don't understand. How are we going to fix what's in the Middle East? You can't fix it. Nobody will fix it until Jesus Christ comes in the clouds of glory and then he will come and he's not going to broker any deals with anybody. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. So they've got some incentive. And in verse 8, then came in all the king's wise men. Well, guess what happened? They could not read the writing. Are you surprised? Nope. That's the theme of Daniel is that the, the, uh, the, the people of this world are impotent. 
But the power of God is, is imminent. It's, it's, it's amazing. The power of God is... You know, this is another reason why I don't believe that the church will go through the tribulation period. And I don't want to get into all that whole thing here. But, but I just wanted to say it while it's fresh on my mind. Another reason I don't believe the church will go through the tribulation period is because of something Jesus said to Peter. He said, you're Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? Now, if the Antichrist comes on the scene, the Bible says in the tribulation period, he's going to wear out the saints. But I get over in 1 John, and the Bible says, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome the spirit of Antichrist, because greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. The church is no match for Antichrist, because greater is he that's in us. The Holy Ghost is stronger than the devil. Do you believe that? I believe that. Okay, enough Bible Prophecy 101. I'll move on. I know some of you don't agree with me, and I'll explain it to you on the way up when, when we're going up. <clears throat> That's not something we fuss and fight about here. You know, if you want to believe we go through the tribulation, so be it. Hey, you better be ready to give your life for Jesus Christ no matter if he comes today or 10 years from now because who knows what's going to happen in this world. And none of us are promised tomorrow. All right. Belshazzar is greatly troubled, verse 9. And again, we see this, the Holy Spirit says his countenance was changed. Whenever God says something more than once, he's trying to drive a point home here. The proud has now become humble again. He's, he's nervous. He's worried. And his lords were astonished. Now, verse 10 says, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king, and his lords came into the banquet house. And the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. It's just an oriental greeting. Uh, common greeting. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let your countenance be changed. Notice again, repetition of that phrase. Now, most people believe, most Bible scholars believe, that the queen here is not Belshazzar's wife, but rather it's the queen mother, perhaps the widow of Nebuchadnezzar. And that makes a whole lot of sense because she could look back and remember a time when her husband was humbled by the power of God. And when this man, Daniel, See, Belshazzar didn't care anything about Daniel. But the queen says, uh, wait a minute. If you call this guy, he'll have the answer. wonder why they didn't just start with him in the first place. Well, probably Belshazzar didn't want to hear what Daniel would have to say anyway. But, uh, but the queen, she recognizes. The, she has confidence in Daniel. She says, there's a man in your kingdom. Notice this is an indictment here. Notice the personal pronoun. There's a man in your kingdom. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods, the King James says. Now, understand this, that in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, uh, the word gods uh, is, is plural here. But you know the name for God is plural? Elohim is, is plural. Whenever you see that, the, the uh, suffix I am, like cherubim, means a number of angels. Elohim is plural. You look in the book of Genesis. God says, let us make man in our image. Uh, it's used in a singular fashion. Uh, the verbs are in the singular fashion, but yet the noun is, is plural. It's Elohim. And so she's just expressing this in the way that, you know, from her uh, Babylonian worldview. He says, in the days of your father, and again, this, father, this word father. By the way, I didn't say this earlier. The reason it says father here, that confuses some people. Because I just told you Belshazzar was his grandson, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. There's no word for father in Hebrew or Aramaic. I mean, excuse me, for grandfather. There's no word for grandfather in Hebrew or Aramaic. So they use the word father as a term of ancestral respect. 
So, so understand what's going on here. In the days of your father, light and understanding of wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom, your, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king, I say, he made him. Now, I want you to notice this phrase again. Not only was he the ruler of the, the, uh, the province of Babylon, but he's the master of the magicians and astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And they didn't like him very much. Now, it didn't mean that he did the same. He didn't use the same enchantments that they did. But, ne but Nebuchadnezzar put him in charge of these guys. And they resented him. And I think that's what the whole fiery furnace episode was about. Was because uh, he, they had been promoted uh, over the Chaldean and the astrologers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams, showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, Notice again the similarity between Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. You think there might have been a little envy there? I don't know. I'm just, you know, conjecture. Now let Daniel be called. Notice she calls him by his Hebrew name. She says the same way Nebuchadnezzar did, you know, because those two became friends. <clears throat> and he will show the interpretation. Verse 13. Then was Daniel brought in. Before the king. And the king spoke unto Daniel. And he said, Are you that Daniel? Who are the children of the, of the captivity of Judah? Whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of you. That the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. I want you to notice the condescension here of, <laughs> of uh, Belshazzar. He says, Are you Daniel? Now here's this 80 year old man. And what was his job before he was retired? Come on, guys. He was in charge of what? Babylon. He's the man. And Belshazzar, this punk, he's like, oh, are, are you Daniel? He knew who he was. He's the king. He's the king's grandson. Belshazzar's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. You think he didn't know? You think he was clueless about who Daniel was? Give me a break. But here he is still in his arrogance. Are you Daniel? Are you of those slaves that my granddaddy brought out of Judah, Judea? You see the condescension here? Are you one of those slaves, you know? He says, I, even I have heard of you. He's just dripping with pride. And Daniel's looking at him like, dude, I used to have your job. <laughs> You're nothing. You're nothing but a punk. He's going to give him a history lesson. <laughs> he says, I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation of. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Notice again the double emphasis on the inability of, de of the devil, of Satan's power. I have heard of you, that you can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, you shall be, notice he makes the same offer. You shall be clothed with scarlet. It's a symbol of royalty. You shall have a chain of gold about thy neck. This will be a precious gift that only a king could bestow, perhaps. And you shall be what? Third ruler in the kingdom. You'll be next to me. You'll, the only one, you know, I'll be your superior, but you'll be the greatest next to me. <laughs> I love what Daniel says in verse 17. 
Daniel answered and he said before the king, let your gifts be to yourself. You know, I, I've already done this. I've already had this gig. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, I don't want anything you've got. I would to God that men would, God would raise up some preachers that are not for sale. They'll just say what thus saith the Lord. And it doesn't matter if the crowd likes it. It doesn't matter if the offerings keep coming in or not. Just preach the truth. He said, I'm not for sale. Give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. And in my crass vernacular, he's about to say, up yours, O king. <laughs> Verse 18, he says, O thou king. The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Let me give you the flavor of this. Now, your grandfather, now that was a king. You are a punk, but your grandfather, now that was a king. He was a, and he was. He was an amazing leader. And for the majesty that he gave him, notice again the sovereignty of God. God gave it to him. All people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. And whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And that, isn't that the truth? You know, if you disagree with Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to find your way into the blazing furnace. Or he'd say, I'm going to cut you in pieces and turn your house into an outhouse. I'm going to turn your house into a dunghill. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. He was a king. He had the respect of the people. People didn't question Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up with pride... And his mind hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until he knew, notice, this, notice he did come to an awareness, until he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Do you see that? God is in charge no matter who's on the throne. No matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in the governor's mansion, uh, God is in control. No matter who has control of the House or the Senate, God's in control. God is sovereign. No matter what the United Nations says, God is sovereign. God is in control. He says, and you, his son, O Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart. Notice that last phrase, verse 22. Though you knew all of this. Belshazzar's been playing dumb, hadn't he? Who are you, Daniel? Are you one of, the, one of the slaves that came out? And he says, boy, you knew. Because in the days of your grandfather, and Belshazzar was probably a young teenager at this point, he saw all of these terrible things happening to his grandfather because of his pride. And he says, you've not learned from history. Folks, if we don't learn from history, we're going to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. You can remove statues and all this kind of stuff, but if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. You're doomed to it. Learn from history. Daniel boldly confronted the king. He was not afraid. He said, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, verse 23, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine in them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone. They see not, nor hear, nor know. Now notice this phrase. 
and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways you have not glorified. Now that's bold. He said, the very God that you defy, he is the one that is giving you permission to exist. Let me give you some more alliteration here. Belshazzar, your breathing borrowed breath. It's not your own. You're breathing borrowed air. If you woke up today, it's because God allowed you to wake up. God gave the decree that you wake up. If you think for a moment that you're in charge, just let God take that breath of life away from you and you'll find out real quick. Let's go to the next slide. We're almost finished here. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, from God, and this writing was written. And this was the writing that was written. Many, many, tekel ufarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. All right, let's talk a little bit about the interpretation. First word is mene, and it's doubled for, for emphasis. Numbered. Numbered. You know, the Bible says that our days are numbered. Jesus said the very hairs of your head, they're, they're numbered. The very tears that we cry, the prayers that we pray, God's got them in a bottle, they're numbered. But there's something important about this. This is in the past tense. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar, when God gave him that dream, he also gave him 12 months to get things right. Remember that from chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar had the dream about the tree that went into heaven. It was cut down at the root, but the stump was preserved, and his kingdom was going to be uh, secured. And God gave him 12 months to repent. But in the case of Belshazzar, his days are numbered, and the window of opportunity is no longer open. There's, no, there's not going to be six months to get right with God. There's not going to be 12 months to get right with God. There's not going to be a week to get right with God. There's not going to be the next day to get right with God. Tekel means weighed. God's going to weigh us. How are we going to be weighed? We're going to be weighed by the Scripture. Doesn't matter what your feelings say. We're a lot like the book of Judges, how it ended. You know, it says that that period is summarized this way, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of moral relativism. I'm okay, you're okay, I've got my truth, you've got your truth. But in the end, we're going to be weighed, not based on my truth and your truth, but the truth. Jesus said, heaven and earth, they'll pass away, but my word will never pass away. Jesus said, I don't judge anybody. He says, there is one that judges you. The word that I speak will judge you in the last day. We will be judged by the word of God. Not by popular opinion. Not even by our own opinions. We'll be judged by the word of God. Perez. Now, this is a play on words. This is a pun. Because the word Perez also is, is Persian. It means to divide. 
Babylon's kingdom is going to be divided amongst two, the Medes and the Persians. And Belshazzar doesn't know this, but even as he's throwing this party in the royal palace, and by the way, that palace was found. They, they located that. Archaeologists did. Saddam Hussein, back in the days of his era, he had it rebuilt, refurbished. Fascinating stuff. But while he's there having this drunken feast, and he has no clue, Darius, Darius the Mede, led by Cyrus, has dammed up the Euphrates River, and soldiers are going right underneath the wall. You know, Babylon fell without a fight. Did you know that? It, it's a documented fact. Babylon fell. I think it was 539 B.C. It fell in one night, in one hour, in one hour, Babylon fell. Remember that phrase, at the same hour the finger of God came? In an hour of time. And, and we don't know exactly when the Medes and the Persians busted in the banquet hall. But I got a sneaking suspicion it was right at the same time. Because it all happened in the same night. Daniel is rewarded. But notice what the Bible says about Belshazzar. Verse 30. It says, in that night. Is that what your Bible says? It means for him there was no tomorrow. In that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and, and two years old. Let me say a little something to, to my senior citizens here this morning. Darius the Mede was 62 years old, and he was still working for the Lord. You say, well, I'm 80 years old. Well, guess what? Daniel's 80 years old, and he's still preaching to the king. He's still doing work for God. As long as you're in this world, God's not through with you. The reason you're still here is because God's got a work for you to do. Now, you might not be able to do what you used to do. Lord knows I can't. <laughs> I can't do some things I used to do. I'm a lot more careful going up and down the stairs now <laughs> than I used to be. When I was a kid, I used to jump off the porch. Remember doing that when you were a kid? And now I'm like, whoa, let me grab a hold of this rail. <laughs> and, I, and when I go shopping for shoes, I'm looking for some sensible shoes. Not just good-looking shoes. I need something with some support to it. But Daniel was 80-something years old, and here he is standing before the king, the ruler of the world, telling him what, what thus saith the Lord. Let's go to the last slide. All right. So what does all this mean for you and me? I'm glad you asked. First of all, we see the sovereignty of God. Now, I've got reference here from Jeremiah uh, 50, Isaiah 44 and 45. We're not going to turn there for sake of time. But let me say this. About a hundred years prior to all of this happening, God predicted Cyrus. He named him by name before he was born, by the way. God knew you before you were born. That's a good sanctity of life verse right there. But God knew Cyrus before he was born. He named him by name. That's pretty cool. You know the first person God named by name? It's Ishmael, strangely enough. But anyway, God named him, and he predicted that Cyrus would destroy the, the armies of Babylon. And someone showed Cyrus this. They showed Cyrus in the Bible. They showed him himself in the Holy Scriptures. And you know what Cyrus did? Cyrus granted permission for the Jews to return to their homeland. 
and, re, and you know, eventually they'd rebuild the city and the wall and the temple and all that stuff. And, and history records Cyrus as being a very magnanimous, a very, uh, very gracious kind of ruler. Cyrus was a good, uh, a, a, you know, a great historical figure too. But the sovereignty of God, God's in control. God's got control not just of your tomorrow, but he's got control of the next hundred years, the next thousand years. All right. Number two, the danger of pride. Here's what pride is. Pride is thinking that what God has said will not happen. And it's been happening ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since Genesis 3. God told Adam and Eve what not to do, and the devil said, Oh, don't worry about that. You know, God doesn't mean what he says. He's just holding out on you. Just do what you want to do. It'll be okay. Unless we be too hard on Adam and Eve, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Now, I don't know how you feel about Rick Warren. I'm not a huge fan of his, but, but something he said st stuck with me. He said, every time we sin, it's because we believe a lie. Every time we sin, it's because we believe the lie. Either we believe it will be okay, we presume upon the grace of God, we think this won't hurt me, uh, I'll get by, I'll have time to get it right, but, but every time we sin, it's because we believe a lie. This is true of individuals and nations. Now remember, Babylon fell without a shot in one hour. Need I, do I need to remind you that almost 20 years ago, a handful of demon-possessed men got in some airplanes and brought this country to its knees in an hour? You say, well, we've got heat-seeking missiles, we've got smart bombs, yeah? And somebody could hack our power grid? They've already hacked our fuel system. You think they can't hack the power grid? And let me tell you what, you think things get crazy when there's a gas shortage? Imagine if the power was out for about a week or two. Uh, hey, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm talking real-world scenarios here. Imagine if the power was out for a week or two and you can't conduct any transactions with your debit card. It won't be as simple as just driving to the store, going to Walmart. It'd bring everything to a screeching halt. Just imagine. We have the need to humble ourselves. This is a theme throughout Scripture, James 4, verse 6, James 4, 10, uh, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. This is a principle throughout the Word of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. God, resist the proud, and He gives grace unto the humble. This is a principle that will never be undone. I don't care who you are. Even the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul, as great as he was, he said, because of the abundance of the visions and revelations that I had, God had to give me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from being exalted above measure. Even Paul acknowledged the blind spot of pride. Number four, there are consequences to our actions. Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 says this, and I'm not looking at it, I'm going to have to quote it, from, from memory as best I can it says something to this effect that God is not mocked whatever a man sows that will he also reap for he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption and he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting there's a principle in scripture now the world refers to it as karma that's an eastern way of describing it. Christians don't talk to me about karma I don't want to see you posting about karma on social media I don't want you talking about that stuff that's an eastern uh, idea the biblical concept is sowing and reaping that's biblical and God is not mocked 
And here's the biggie, number five. Here's the lesson that Belshazzar didn't learn. Remember what Daniel said to him? He said, you knew everything that happened to your granddad, and you just did what you wanted to do anyway. You didn't learn from the past. I've got the references up on the screen, but I'm going to read it. Here, Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We get to 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 11, it says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Learn from the past. The thing that happened to Belshazzar can happen to you and I. And even though this is a highly dramatic scenario here, you know, most of us will never be in a, a party like Belshazzar had, but I would be willing to bet if we, if we had some idea of what our politicians, the, the, the party and the revelries that they have, and some of these Hollywood personalities, it would turn your stomach inside out if you knew. You say, well, it's out of sight and out of mind. I don't care. There is one in heaven that sees all things. And for now, for decades now, I, you know, I, I've been preaching too much about, you know, this, that, and the other here lately. But let me say, this has been a problem in our country for a long time now. Can you imagine somebody being put in a time machine in 1960 and coming out right now? Could you imagine? I mean, we've, you know, I'm not sure what the dates were, but we got I Love Lucy and Lucy and him are sleeping in separate beds and stuff. And now we've got immorality at every turn. We, we abort babies. The leading cause of death in America is abortion. It's not heart disease, it's abortion. And we, we're sacrificing our children just like the, the, the children of Israel did. Sacrifice to the, the God of Moloch and Remphan and Baal and whoever else. We're killing babies right and left. We not only tolerate sexual immorality, but now we have a whole month to celebrate how proud we are of our sexual immorality. I, I'm telling you the truth. And what does the Bible say about pride? It goes before a fall. And we're, we, we said, God, we don't want you in school. We don't want, we don't want you, uh, we don't want people praying in school. We don't want the Bible to be read in school. Instead, we want to be taught critical race theory and Marxism, which is straight out of the pit of hell. Instead of teaching creation, we'll teach evolution. The man just evolved. He just, you know, if evolution were true, we should, we should be getting better and better. But now we've got instructions on our laundry detergent telling us not to eat it. <laughs> Look at the directions on a Pop-Tart. Number one, remove pastry from foil. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're getting better and better, smarter and smarter, aren't we? <laughs> Would you stand this morning?